This is Sid Roth saying, Shalom Mishpacha. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpacha, the family with a Jewish heart. Welcome to today's edition of Messianic Vision and another appointment for you to be mentored to fulfill your destiny with one of our It's Supernatural guests. And now, here's your host for this program, It's Supernatural television producer, Ryan Bruss. Thank you, Sid. Today on Messing on a Vision, we have our special guest, Mike Bickle, and I've enjoyed Mike Bickle for uh, year, well, decades, really. And Mike, thank you for being with us. Hey, it's a privilege. I really love the program that you guys are hosting. Awesome. Now, the the book that we're talking about today is God's Answer to the Growing Crisis, and uh, it was a real eye-opener, the way you talk about how we have to, ha- uh, there's a Psalm 2 uh, crisis with a Joel 2 response, with an Acts 2 outpouring. This was just so enlightening. But in the in the middle of all that, you always remind us to keep the first commandment first place. That's right. That's, you know why? Because Jesus said it is the first commandment. Heaven defines it as the first and the great commandment. So there's nothing of a higher priority in the Holy Spirit or in God's leadership and awakening our hearts in love. At the end of the day, that's the ultimate of the whole thing. Now, in your, you talk a lot about the uh, in your book, the growing crisis. Uh, what what, do you, what are some of the highlights that you see to kind of get us all, uh, as Christians? Hey, this is going on. We need to we need to be aware of this in the world right now. Well, when you talk about crisis, you can talk. There's probably ten different categories of crisis and. The one I am talking about in Psalm 2, the one that David prophesied about 3,000 years ago, is a spiritual crisis. I'm not talking about an economic crisis, though I believe there are all kinds of signs of that, that one's coming. But, you know, I'm no expert on that opinion. I mean, on that. Then there's military crisis. There's all kinds of crisis in the earth. But that's not what Psalm 2 is talking about, and that's not really the focus of my book. It's the spiritual crisis in particular. And uh, David talked about that, and it's Psalm 2 I consider to be the most relevant uh, uh, chapter, prophetic chapter in the whole Bible for what's happening right now. I realize that's a pretty big statement. I'm going to say that again. No, exactly. Of all the the prophetic chapters or passages, I'll call it passages, but I mean a whole chapter, in the Bible, there's a number of really relevant ones for today. But I don't think any of them is more relevant than Psalm 2. I think it's absolutely the number one uh, prophetic word going on in America right now, and even outside of America, but I'm focused on America in this uh, uh, program here. And what David said is, I'll I'll just give a little overview of, of the psalm. The psalm has four parts. First, the kings of the earth. They raise their fist to God, and they challenge God for three verses, kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth and the leaders of the culture. And they say, in essence, we're going to band together, and we're going to drive the influence of the Word of God out of the culture. Of course, that's what's happening today. They're trying to. And they raise their fist to God and says, the Word of God, the the moral uh, revelations, just the, the... the doctrines of faith, and we're going to drive it out of the culture, out of the, out of the education system, out of media. We're going to drive it out. That's their goal. Now, they don't succeed, but that is what they're trying to do. 
then the Lord answers that those three verses of the kings, their challenge, uh, raising the fist to God. Then the Father, he speaks for three verses, and he gives his answer to what they said. And he gives a pretty dynamic answer in one sentence. What he says is, I'm going to... I'm going to uh, intervene and confront you openly, which is negative. But he says, also, I'm going to exalt my son as king. And I'm going to release the spirit of power for the kingship of Jesus is going to be openly displayed in the earth. And, of course, we know that's going to grow increasing until the Lord returns. And then when the Lord returns, it's going to be opened everywhere. So the Father's answer is, I'm going to confront you with my judgments openly. talking about those that persistent rebellion against him. And I'm going to release an end-time revival of power that's going to exalt the kingship of Jesus. And then ultimately, when Jesus returns, his kingship is going to be openly over every area of life, you know, over every nation. Then Jesus gets three verses, and he comments on what the Father just said. And Jesus, which is so amazing, that when he uh, uh, gives his three three answer response— he reveals himself as the great intercessor. Mm. I mean, of all the realities of who Jesus is, he's the savior, the healer, the teacher, the shepherd, the king. I mean, he's all these like hundred things. But in this conflict, this end time conflict, he reveals himself as the intercessor. He says, here's what I'm going to do. Here's my response. I'm going to declare to the Father what the Father promised me. I'm going to declare it back to him in prayer. And the implication is he's going to lead his whole end-time church into partnership of intercession back to the Father that his kingship would be openly displayed. Of course, that's the great revival that we're all believing for. And that's what's going to answer the kings of the earth who are raising their fists, challenging God, threatening to drive God's word out of culture, or so they think that they're threatening. God's not intimidated. <laughs> right. Then David gets three verses, and he says to, uh, you know, to the well, it's been relevant for 3,000 years. This whole psalm has been since David said it, 1,000 years B.C., but it has its most relevance in the end times because it's most relevant in the generation where kings— are trying to remove the scripture out of nations that have a Christian heritage. And there wasn't that many nations with Christian heritages hundreds of years ago. I mean, that's a relatively new phenomenon where nations have Christian heritage in Europe and America and Latin America as well. So it's a a new phenomenon where kings, plural, of the earth globally are removing the influence of the word that's been entrenched in the culture for some decades or, or centuries. So it's not something that was fulfilled in David's day, a little bit, but, I mean, Israel was the only nation that had the Word of God uh, you know, uh, established in the culture, and David was talking about the Gentile kings of the earth moving it from their country. So it was clearly an end-time prophecy, clearly, though it has some fulfillment through, through history. And so David gives a three-verse answer, and he says, oh, kings of the earth, oh, judges, you better bow down in humility. <laughs> You better respond to God on God's terms because this is serious. Wow. So again, snapshot of the psalm. Kings of the earth, they raise their fists, three verses. We challenge you, God. We're going to drive your word out of the culture. 
The next three verses, God the Father says, there's not a chance that's going to happen. Matter of fact, I'm going to openly confront you, and I'm going to exalt my son as king. The next three verses, Jesus says the intercessor, Father, you said the earth was mine, and I am the rightful ruler of it. He leads in prayer, and of course his bride, the end-time church, is in unity with him. And then King David says, if any of you are smart, pay attention, bow down and kiss the son. Pay him homage with affection and with adoration and with full obedience. And so that's four parts. Each get three verses, and that's kind of a snapshot of the psalm. But the critical part of the crisis itself is spiritual, and that is we're, we're seeing it all over America in a decidedly increased way in the last five years where they're trying to uh, – they, anything that has to do with the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of sex, Jesus is the way of salvation, God's judgment, any of those kind of topics, they want to drive that out of the culture and out of the cultural conversation. And you talk about it this way. They're not just trying to secularize America. They're trying to de-Christianize it. 100% is what their agenda is. And they're going to fail, but they're going to gain some ground in an alarming way before they fail. And you give a lot of eye-opening things that are happening in America, around the world, uh, just really powerful uh, things that you point out. But with the increasing darkness, you also make it clear that we're going to witness, and I know you obviously knew uh, Bob Jones very well, we're going to see that great revival the planet has ever known coming our way before too long. Yeah, Isaiah 60 Verse 1 and 2 says it the clearest of any passage I know of. Isaiah 60, verse 1 and 2, it says, When deep darkness covers the earth, that's a pretty ominous statement. Right. When deep darkness covers the earth, the glory of God will arise on his people, and the power of God will be manifest. And so the greatest hour of power in the church's History is going to be in the time when, this, when the, the society has the deepest darkness in it. So there's going to be the most intense light in the same generation of which there's the most intense darkness. And that's going to create a very unique dynamic, very unique dynamics. Never seen before in history such intense light and intense darkness coming in direct collision and contrast with one another. And with it, with what you just said, with the with the intense darkness and the in, intense glory that's coming, the Bible makes it clear that there's going to be a falling away. And this isn't in my notes, but I'm just going to ask you: How does somebody in, in this hour, with all from from perversion to uh, you know the de-Christianizing of our uh, school system, the colleges, how do how do we keep our hearts secure? that we do not become part of that group that's going to give in and fall away. Yeah, I think it's actually easy, meaning it's not complicated at all. Because if it was complicated, the rank and file of humanity couldn't do it. Right. It's got to be so easy that the uneducated, the poor and uneducated of the earth, which is the majority of the earth, they have to be able to do it. It can't be something that's sophisticated that you need a PhD in order to make it work. Right. And and so and so I am really confident in the in the accessibility of victory 
But uh, people have got to set in their heart that that's what they want, and that's the part that nobody can do for a person. They got to make that choice themselves. But I tell people, I go, if you, if you will uh, seek, no one does this great. So I'm, I'm not talking about super saints right now. But if they will seek to cultivate a regular dialogue with the Lord, a little bit of time in the Word, and maybe not every day, but you try to every day, where you open the Bible. And you don't just read the Bible, but you talk to Jesus using the Bible. Like when the Bible says something, some promise, like I, God says, I love you, I forgive you, we stop. And we turn that into dialogue. We say, thank you. Thank you that you love me. Thank you for gave me. Thank you that you'll provide for me. Thank you you'll direct me. Whatever there's a promise, you stop and say thank you. And you say, show me more. And then whenever there's a command, you know, like do good works, broaden your tongue, live in purity, you talk, instead of just underlining it, you stop and you talk to a person. You say, I commit my heart to that. Will you help me? So in those simple ways, you just turn the Bible into conversation. So number one, if people will seek to cultivate a somewhat consistent conversation. I don't mean every minute, every day, because if you describe it that way, then everyone gives up and says, there's no way I can do that. But they just get it into the routine of their daily life. And some weeks and months, we do it better. And others, we don't do it as good. But anyway, that's point one. That's critical. That, that, that's essential. And again, no one does it that great, but a little bit of that is a long way. Well, let me ask you this, Mike. You, you have we, – we, we see IHOP, and, and you know, I, I'm going to be 45 this year, and I was listening to you at 19. Uh, but um, how does Mike Bickle sustain his passion and love for God through the years? Well, these ways that I'm, I'm outlining, these simple it's – so, it's really quite simple. Again, I have this commitment – to have this dialogue with the Lord. And I read the scripture. I mean, I don't do it every day, but most every day for the last 40 years. I miss days, but I don't worry about it when I do. But I open the Bible, and when there's a promise, I stop and say, thank you, show me more. And when there's a commandment, I stop and say, I commit my heart to it. Help me by the grace of God. I turn it into conversation. Do you do that? It is amazing how many little spurts, little moments of inspiration will touch your heart. Five and ten seconds, little moments of inspiration. But those things really add up over time. That's how I say things. I mean, that's one way. I would think of three or four things, but that's one of them right there. That's the number one for sure. So basically you're saying don't overcomplicate this whole thing. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Don't overcomplicate it, but have it. It's relational. Cultivate the conversation and use the Bible as the conversation material, meaning don't just pray spontaneously from your heart. Do that for sure, but when people just pray spontaneously, normally they run out of things to say after five or ten minutes. <laughs> and so they go, okay, I'm kind of out. So, I mean, that's good to pray spontaneous, but don't limit yourself to that. I open the Bible, and that's my conversation piece. Yeah. Number two, you've got to stay in fellowship with godly people. You can't just you and the Lord alone. And I don't mean just people that say they're Christians or grew up in a Christian home. People that are really, they care about breakthrough. They care about experiencing the power of God. So you need a few friends like that. And number three, you need to hear the Word of God on a regular basis from other people, not just your own reading. 
There's something about the anointing of the Spirit through other vessels God's anointed that stir your heart in a way that your own heart isn't stirred yourself. Because victory only comes in context of the larger body of Christ. So if you've got the personal dialogue, you have some friends where you're contending for a greater breakthrough of God's power together, not just Christian friends, but Christian friends who are trying to go hard. Mm. There's a big difference. Yes. And number three, staying in a place where you're hearing teaching and not buying this lie that, oh, man, the Lord's enough, because I I see those people, they almost always die out after a year or two. They they don't even know they're doing it. But I, I'm a Bible teacher, but I hear teaching all the time from others. And I hear truth that I'm familiar with, but when I hear them through the lips of another, through the grid, the Holy Spirit's way in another man or woman, I go, wow, you know what? That, that was good. I needed to be re- <laughs> I would put those simple things right there, and people do that. The newest believer, the newest Christian can walk in victory. Wow, that's good. That's good. So talk about your book, God's Answer to the Growing Crisis. Well, the, you know, it's about Psalm 2, and I'm highlighting the need to understand that there is a growing militant attack, a, a secular militant attack upon standing for the Word of God. And the reason I want people to know it, well, number one, it's so obvious, but to see it in the Bible, it braces us. So instead of us being confused like, oh, my God, I can't believe we're doing it, the Lord says, no, no, it's in my plan. I told you they would do it. And my spirit and my body is sufficient for you to overcome this. If you'll connect with my spirit in the ways I just said, and you stay in fellowship with my body, you're going to be okay. You're going to walk in victory. And so uh, the, the book is about the fact of the rise of the militant attack against the word. But it also, the book is about giving confidence that victory is absolutely assured for the church. And then I give some details on, ways in which we are to be faithful witnesses to the Word. And, you know, not very many people preach on a microphone, you know, to hundreds of people, you know, like some maybe a pastor at a church. Most of us as faithful witnesses is on one-on-one, one-on-two conversations, you know, in the marketplace, on the football team, you know, just in athletics, in the neighborhood, family dinners, and that's where people stand for the truth. You know, one-on-one, one-on-three, just simple friendship conversations. But we have to stand for the truth. We can't be silent and kind of retreat in a corner, kind of like in fear. And we are going to get rejected if we take a stand. But the spirit of glory, the Lord's hand will touch our heart in a special way if we're faithful to the truth. Wonderful. Now, what about your three CD set, Confident in Love Before God? That What a title. Well, yeah, I I think the... If we get confident in love, and when I think of confident in love, I think of a twofold response, twofold. Number one, confident that God loves us. But instead of the word love, I'm going to use the word enjoys. Do you know that God actually enjoys his relationship with us, even in our weakness? Amen. Not only after we break through and get victory in every area, he actually enjoys us as his children. He enjoys the relationship even before every area has got, has uh, been a breakthrough. Now, he points out the area, but I'm a, a father. I got, we, me and my wife have two sons, and well, they're, you know, both are almost 40 years old now, but when they were three, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, whatever, 
there would be an area in their life we did not agree with that we would address. <laughs> right. but it never, ever defined the way we delighted in them. Like, I loved my relationship with my sons, even when the area grieved me. And some people, when they think about God, they think of God, God is always mad or sad when he relates to them. And God is actually mostly glad, because he sees the area, but he sees more than the area. He says, you know that area? I'm going to keep talking about it. I'm going to hand you in on that area, because I love you so much. I'm going to help you get free in that area, and I'm not going to let you ignore it. So he will hem us in, but he's not hemming us in, you know, about ready to throw us over the cliff. He's a hem us in because he says, I'm committed to your greatness. I'm committed. And when I mean your greatness, I'm committed to you being everything that I called you to be in the spirit. And I, I love you enough to jump in the middle of this and help you get out of that mud, get a spirit of liberty. And so when you know that he actually delights in you, even in your weakness, then you run to him. You don't run from him when you sin. Amen. You get a believer running to him instead of from him. The, the devil wants us to, when we sin, to be so ashamed and so condemned, we run from God. And we go do what Adam did. We go make some religious fig leaf and go hide under it. <laughs> and we try to come up with some, some way to escape the, the angry, mad God. Well, I got good news. God's not mostly mad or mostly sad when he relates with us. He's mostly glad, actually. Amen. Gets it. He he understands. He understands our weakness. Again, he's going to confront that area. I'm not saying he's going to say, well, boys will be boys. What the heck? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about with a heart of a gladness going, I so love you. I so delight in you. It's me and my sons. I am not going to let that area dominate your life. So I'm coming after you. But only because you're mine, only because we got a great future together forever and forever, it's that tenor, it's that tone. And so when you're confident in love, oh, my goodness. It, you, again, you went to him instead of from him. But confident in love isn't just confident that he loves or delights in you. It's confident that your love is real, and he sees your, your love back to him as real, even when it's weak. Some people have the idea that the only kind of love that's real is love that's mature. And even when our love is weak, it's still real, even when it's weak. Right. Look at me when I'm growing in the spirit and say, you hypocrite, you call that love, get out of here. No, he goes, no, I see it. It's real. It's not mature yet. But I, I see the cry of your spirit. And when I think that God looks at my heart and says, I want you to have confidence the way you're responding to me. It actually matters to me. I don't want to quit them. I go, Lord, if you think what I'm doing is real, I'm going to keep doing it, man. If this, is, if, if you, this moves you, wow. <laughs> so confident in love has two directions. Confident that he loves us and confident, even in our weakness, confident that he esteems our love as real to him, even when our love is weak. And so I think confidence and love is critical in the midst of the increasing struggles and battles in our culture. Boy, that's so good. And I know when I listen to those CDs, it really touched me. It really, it really builds your faith to, to, to know that you are his favorite and, and in love. God loves you. You love him. It's so back and forth. I love that. When we come back, we're going to have Mike talk a little bit more about the love of God, one of his favorite subjects, and, and get back into uh, more of the Psalm 2, Joel 2, Acts 2 
issues that are going on. We'll be right back. Call now and get Mike Bickle's life-changing two-volume audio CD teaching series, Studies in the Song of Solomon, which includes 12 anointed sessions, along with a free 185-page download of Mike's study notes. Plus, receive Mike's anointed prophetic book, God's Answer to the Growing Crisis. This is an exclusive offer for our rich supernatural audience, yours, for a donation of $49. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9559. The Song of Solomon is Mike Bickle's most popular teaching series. For over 30 years, he has prayerfully studied and researched each line of this divine love song. I lost my father at 12 years old, which had left a gaping hole in my heart. When I heard Mike's teaching on how my Heavenly Father doesn't just love me, but also adores and enjoys me as I journey closer to Him, it completely changed me from the inside out. I learned how to surrender to the love of Messiah and be consumed with His passion and empowered by His love. Mike includes a free download of his 185 pages of study notes. This is an anointed Bible-based teaching series that you can study on your own and even use to share with others. You will also receive Mike Bickle's powerful prophetic book, God's Answer to the Growing Crisis. Through this book, Mike shares how to be equipped to engage with God effectively as the world moves into greater darkness and denial of God's truth. Mike shares how you, as a believer, can be part of a mighty outpouring of God's glory that will usher in a revival unlike the world has ever experienced. The outpouring of the glory of God is about ready to invade planet Earth, but it's not going to invade your heart if your heart isn't tender towards God. And that's why God even put the Song of Solomon in the Bible. Don't miss out on getting Mike Bickle's life-changing two-volume audio CD teaching series, Studies in the Song of Solomon, which includes 12 anointed sessions, along with a free 185-page download of Mike's study notes. Plus, receive Mike's anointed prophetic book, God's Answer to the Growing Crisis. This is an exclusive offer for our supernatural audience, yours, for a donation of $49. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9559. Call or you can send your check to Sid Roth. It's Supernatural. P.O. Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. Please specify offer number 9559 or log on to sidroth.org. Call or write today. We're back with Mike Bickle and the where you left off on the last segment about the love of God. You got us all stirred up and uh, feeling his love and and uh, I, I love over the years how you've really communicated uh, the Father's love, especially through the Song of Solomon and so on and so forth. You, you teach that the way to get people going after God hard and running after God is to really convince them that God is lovesick over them. Yeah, the, the verse, kind of one of my foundational verses is First John four nineteen. It says, we love him because he first loved us. And you can... And you can put a handful of other words in there. We delight in him because he first delighted in us. We pursue him because we first understand he pursued us. We enjoy him because we first understand he enjoys us. Of course, through the grace of God and through the blood of Christ. But so I can delight, pursue, enjoy, love, all those words because I know he was that way towards me first. And everybody loves to be around someone who loves them. Right. <laughs> I mean, when you're around someone who loves you, you put your guard down, you're relaxed, you feel confident, you're smiling. Do you think they're trying to find out something to criticize you? They're like 
checking at every angle for a mistake. You're guarded. You're, you're restrained. It's like First John, that very passage says, that if you don't have confidence in love, it's torment. It says it's fear. He goes, you'll have fear. You'll have torment. And if you're with someone that, particularly somebody that has power over your life, you know, a parent, a coach, uh, or a good friend even, if you think that they're criticizing you and they're really negative, it's torment. Right. Your heart's guarded. You're not relaxed. You're sweating. You're nervous. And the Lord says, uh, uh, perfect love cast out fear. In other words, the perfect knowledge of love. When my love is, when my knowledge of His love is mature, instead of the word perfect, but the word mature, that the uh, perfect love, mature knowledge of God's love casts fear out of my heart because where there's fear, there's torment, it says. There's the feeling of uncertainty and insecurity. Now that's between us and God, but it just so happens that's a great relational principle too. That whether it's your spouse or your or your siblings or your children or your friends, when they have the confidence that you have more joy over them than you have criticism, that you see who they are even though they have failures, they relax and they're with you and they go, you know what, this feels so good to be with you. So everyone loves to be around someone who enjoys them. Absolutely. That begins in our walk with God. Now, a big part of that is learning how to behold Him, correct? Yeah, Second Corinthians 3.18 says that we behold His glory. Behold. In other words, I can put different words in. If we look at it, that's kind of maybe a hard word to get a hold of. If, if, we, if we think on it, if we study it, if we encounter it, those are all words that would be kind of elaborate on the word beholding the glory, studying it, talking about it, thinking about it, praying it, contemplating on it, encountering it. Those are all words kind of that would be, you know, that would elaborate on the word beholding the glory of God. But it's interesting when Paul said that in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he goes, behold the glory of God. You'll be changed. You'll have a spirit of liberty on the inside. I mean, when your heart gets liberated on the inside from guilt, from shame, from lust, a liberated heart is fantastic. I mean, we were made to have a liberated heart. But Paul said, if you behold the glory, it will transform your heart. It will give you liberty in your heart. But it's interesting. I'll just take a moment on this. Paul is taking that, that, that idea of beholding the glory out of an episode in Moses' life when he beheld the Lord's glory. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, he said, Lord, I want to see your glory. I want to behold your glory. Exodus 33:18. He goes, can I behold your glory? Can I see it? Can I encounter it? And the Lord says, okay, I'll let you do it. And then a few verses later in chapter 34, the very next chapter, verse 6, it says, and the Lord declared his name to Moses. In other words, the Lord let Moses behold his glory. But here's what the Lord said about himself. Here's what the Lord shows when he shows his glory. He said, I'm the Lord God, abounding in mercy, gracious, abounding in loving kindness, filled with forgiveness. His glory is his graciousness. His glory isn't his muscles, the fact he can make the heavens and the earth by his word, because my glory isn't the fact I have power. My glory is the way I use my power. I use my power with graciousness. 
I use my power mercy, with tenderness, with abounding goodness. That's the glory of God, isn't that he's stronger than everybody, and he flexes his muscle, and everybody says, wow, a little bit, the glory of God is that, but that's not the real glory. The glory is that he uses his strength to magnify love and mercy. Wow. No other powerful person does that like God. Wow. Because powerful people want everybody just to bow down and go, wow, you're powerful, I get it. He goes, no, that's not really what I want. Yeah, that does happen. My power will make you go, wow. But you go, you're kind, Mm. and you want me, and you care about me. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Because you're getting it. That is my glory. So we take that Exodus 30, verse 18. Moses said, let me see your glory. God answers Exodus 34, verse 6. Here's my glory. I'm, I'm kind of good, all those things. Now, Paul, you know, 1,500 years later, writes Second Corinthians. says, hey, remember the Moses story? How Moses beheld God's glory? Well, if you do, it will create liberty in your heart. And some people think of liberty as, you know, as what they do in the worship service. You know, they jump real loud or shout or something. And that's a little bit of liberty in that. But liberty is not what you do in a worship service. Mostly, liberty is liberty of the heart. Right. Free from condemnation, free from shame, free from uh, a preoccupying self-absorbed, just being self-absorbed, which is our natural way to be. The spirit of liberty is freedom from that. So, wow, what a great way to live. Boy, that's good. And Okay, so you, you talked in the first segment about the Psalm 2 crisis, but then you then in the book you talk about the Joel 2 response. What does that Joel 2 response look like? Well, the Joel 2 response, because AI is saying there's a Psalm 2 crisis, which is the militant, secular militant stand against the Word of God in our culture. That's the crisis I'm talking about, although there's many other crises in the culture. The Psalm 2 is a spiritual crisis. That's what's in focus. And uh, so a Joel 2... I'm thinking of the famous verses, verses 12 to 17, when Joel said, hey, there's crisis in the land, but it's more than spiritual, military crisis, all kinds of things were going on in Joel's day. He says, if you will cry out, return to the Lord, cry out with all of your heart to him, adds fasting and prayer. And fasting doesn't earn us God's favor. Fasting actually tenderizes our heart and positions us before God to receive more. It's really what it does. Some people have a long idea they think fasting is something you do to prove how sincere you are. Fasting actually positions yourself to receive more revelation and to be tenderized. That's really what it does. Right. Anyway, Joel 2 says, if you fast and pray, he said, oh, I love this. He goes this. And you know when you fast and pray, he goes, that God is kind and abounding in goodness. It's that same thing with Moses. Joel gets it. He goes, the Lord is kind and abounding in mercy and forgiveness, and he relents. He changes his mind about the trouble that was coming. Now, how God changes his mind, that's bigger than my brain. I don't understand how all that works. <laughs> I know that, and some people have big theories about that, and I leave that stuff alone. I just say, God knows everything. But he says, if you cry out to him, he does things different than they would have happened, and that's good enough for me. <laughs> and so, oh, it's beautiful. And he says, cry out to the Lord. So I tell people, in the crisis, we need to cry out to the Lord individually, but also corporately. You know, whether it's a home group of five or ten people, you know, taking an evening or two for an hour or two, and they cry out to the Lord together, or it's a church, 
or it's a Saturday morning where everybody, all the men gather, all the women, whatever. You know, a corporate proceeding doesn't have to be, you know, like with Lou Engel in the stadium, you know, with 80,000 people. Right. Because, you know, because I think of fasting and prayer, I always think of Lou. Right, right. Lou Engel, the Lord used him in yeah. national way, such a glorious way. But you can even do that with fives and tens in a home group or in a university dorm. You could have a solemn assembly with five people in it. Or you could do it alone, or you could do it as a family. But regardless, he says, fast and pray individually and corporately. Repent of your sin, knowing the Lord is kind and generous. And if you do that, Joel 2, later in Joel 2, he says, I'll pour out my spirit. In verse 18, he goes, after that, I'll pour out my spirit. And it's interesting, in Acts 2, that's the very passage that Peter quoted was Joel 2. Right. So Joel 2 and Acts 2 go together, because Joel 2 actually has the fasting and prayer and the outpouring of the Spirit, and Peter quotes it because in Acts 1, they spent 10 days in the upper room together. They were doing the Joel 2 thing together. Then in Acts 2, then the outpouring of the Spirit thing. And so Acts 1 and 2 actually mirrors Joel chapter 2, the first part, and Joel chapter 2, the second part of the chapter. Now the Joel 2 part, is that a... I know it's not all of it, but that's a big part of what you're doing at IHOP? Yes, yeah. We have uh, 24-7 uh, prayer that's been that's led by a worship team. We have 700 people on our staff. Wow. And 19 years ago, we uh, the Lord uh, called us to do this, and we started gathering singers and musicians. And we have about 50 worship teams in our ministry that are full-time. I mean, it's a full-time job. Wow. I mean, it's kind of an unusual situation but that's wonderful though. we organize ourselves around the clock and at two in the morning at two in the afternoon at six in the morning at six at night right now like i'm in my office right next to live worship that's going on right now and maybe there's a hundred people in the room and uh and 10 people just typically what it is 10 people on stage and typically one to 300 people in the room 24 hours a day and it's prayer led by live worship teams and the worship has not stopped even one minute for, for 19 years. Wow. The has never wow. The, the worship teams go two hours, and then they're replaced by a, a new worship team, and they overlap for about five minutes on the stage. So the music is never, it's never even stopped for a minute. Boy, that's awesome. So, so it's kind of like a corporate, ongoing 19-year solemn assembly, sort of. It's not always so solemn. I mean, we have lots of joyful times, but it's intimacy with God, and we sit before the feet of Jesus, and we cry out for revival and all those kind of things. Love it. When we come back, we're going to ask Mike Bickle about the angel that he met uh, at the end of his bed. Uh, You don't want to miss this. We'll be right back. It has been said that there are more commentaries written about the Song of Solomon than any other book of the Bible. The now-deceased Bible teacher J. Vernon McGee said this one book is the Holy of Holies of the Bible. The elaborate, vivid, striking, and bold language contained within is a wonderful and glorious picture of the relationship with Jesus, our Messiah, that we can obtain. No other book in the Bible will draw you closer to God than the Song of Solomon. 
Call now and get Mike Bickle's life-changing two-volume audio CD teaching series, Studies in the Song of Solomon, which includes 12 anointed sessions, along with a free 185-page download of Mike's study notes. Plus, receive Mike's anointed prophetic book, God's Answer to the Growing Crisis. This is an exclusive offer for our rich supernatural audience, yours, for a donation of $49. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9559. The Song of Solomon is Mike Bickle's most popular teaching series. For over 30 years, he has prayerfully studied and researched each line of this divine love song. I lost my father at 12 years old, which had left a gaping hole in my heart. When I heard Mike's teaching on how my Heavenly Father doesn't just love me, but also adores and enjoys me as I journey closer to Him, it completely changed me from the inside out. After I heard Mike's teaching, when I'm now reading the Song of Solomon, it's like I'm reading the language of heaven. It has a transcendent effect on my spirit, and it's like Jesus, the King, truly taking me into his chambers. Through the Song of Solomon, it's as if I'm entering into an intimate conversation with God himself. I learned how to surrender to the love of Messiah and be consumed with his passion and empowered by his love. Mike includes a free download of his 185 pages of study notes. This is an anointed Bible-based teaching series that you can study on your own and even use to share with others. You will also receive Mike Bickle's powerful prophetic book, God's Answer to the Growing Crisis. Through this book, Mike shares how to be equipped to engage with God effectively. Mike exposes the enemy's agenda to de-Christianize America. America, the increasing danger of secular humanism, the rise of Islamic extremists and their plot to dominate the world. As the world moves into greater darkness and denial of God's truths, Mike shares how you as a believer can be part of a mighty outpouring of God's glory that will usher in a revival unlike the world has ever experienced. The outpouring of the glory of God is about ready to invade planet Earth, but it's not gonna invade your heart if your heart isn't tender towards God. And that's why God even put the Song of Solomon in the Bible. Don't miss out on getting Mike Bickle's life-changing two-volume audio CD teaching series, Studies in the Song of Solomon, which includes 12 anointed sessions, along with a free 185-page download of Mike's study notes. Plus, receive Mike's anointed prophetic book, God's Answer to the Growing Crisis. This is an exclusive offer for our rich supernatural audience, yours, for a donation of $49. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9559. Call or you can send your check to Sid Roth. It's Supernatural. P.O. Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. Please specify offer number 9559 or log on to sidroth.org. Call or write today. We're back with Mike Bickle, and we're learning a lot about God's agenda, I tell you. And, and Mike, you had a um, uh, something interesting happened to you on August 25th, 2005, and I'm sure you'll never forget it for the rest of your life. What happened? Well, I was in prayer in the afternoon, and I was in my bedroom, I guess two in the afternoon or something, and I looked up, and I saw an angel. And, you know, I've had, I've had a couple supernatural experiences where I was awake, not very many in 40 years. I've only seen an angel one time awake, and I've only had one open vision awake. I've had a couple experiences where I was kind of in a trance mode, but anyway... I looked up, and there's this angel, and he's not looking at me. He's looking straight up, and he puts his uh, trumpet to his mouth. But interesting, and I don't know what this means. The, the trumpet did not touch his lips. It was about an inch away 
and didn't quite touch it. And he, but he, he, he bent his head, looked up, and the trumpet went tilted up. And it, what struck me was, blow the trumpet in Zion, trouble is coming, and which is Joel 2. And also, blow the trumpet in Zion, gather my people together and cry out to the Lord. Because the trumpet had, from Numbers 10, that had both impacts. The trumpet warned of impending danger, and the trumpet was a gathering. It was the instrument to gather at the temple to cry out to the Lord or to be before the Lord. So I felt the Lord was saying, it was 2005, August 25th. I mean, I know what he was saying. I'm going to begin to release an increasing anointing to make known the alarm that trouble is coming. And I'm going to also release an increasing anointing to uh, call the people to gather. Again, whether it's fives and tens or hundreds and thousands, my people are going to gather. I'm going to release an anointing. That was 2005. This is 13 years ago. But in the last 13 years, there's been a decided increase of people's awareness to gather in prayer meetings for churches to have prayer. So it's not been like one day it all started because the, the trumpet didn't actually touch the lips of the angel. And what I, heard, what I caught in that is the Lord saying, I haven't pressed it yet, but I'm soon going to press these points. Wow. And so I've been alerted since then. But to me, it's a Joel 2 theme, uh, you know. Trouble is coming, but God has an answer, and it's God's kindness and tenderness to visit his people in the midst of an increasing trouble. So that's what the trumpet—oh, oh, the angel did it three times. Oh, I forgot. He, he uh, tilted his, the, the trumpet up, and I'm looking. And again, I've only seen an angel with my eyes awake once. I'm going, what on earth? <laughs> I'm looking at an angel. No, because it's, it's, you know, it's not like Bob Jones, who had that, I guess, a bunch of times, but right. I can't hardly believe it. I go, I am looking at an angel awake. <laughs> I've seen an angel in dream a couple of times, and, and he did it three times, and the angel never looked at me, and then it disappeared. But I was left with an unmistakable message. There's going to be an increased in anointing to sound the alarm and an increase in anointing to gather the people to cry out to the Lord together. And like you said, we're seeing that in increasing numbers. And, and Mike, you're a, you're a uh, first commandment guy, you know, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and you teach us how to live in his love, how to demonstrate his love, and it's so, how to hunger and passion for Jesus. But in November of 2008, you had a very disturbing, in a sense, open vision. Yes. Yes, it was. It was disturbing. And again, I've only had seen one angel encounter in, my, in 40 years of being a pastor and one open vision. Here's what I count, consider an open vision. I'm wide awake, and a movie screen appears on the wall. It was black and white. Maybe, I don't know why, but it was. And I looked, it was about three by three, three feet by three feet. And it was hundreds of tanks coming across America in the open plains like Oklahoma, Nebraska, Kansas, something like that. I mean, I didn't know where, but I, those, that's where the open plains are. Hundreds of them. And uh, uh, they were going from the west to the east. I remember that. And I remember, in the in, uh, first of all, I'm blown away. I'm seeing it. I kept rubbing my eyes going, what's <laughs> happening? Because it, it takes a minute in your humanity to catch what's happening. Right. I go, I, I, it, Wait, I'm a what? What? <laughs> I rub my eyes and I go, what am I? What? And 
I looked at the end of the like the three feet screen, so to speak, I looked at the four foot, and it was my wall. I looked at the foot on the other side of the screen, it was my wall. I go, I'm having a vision. Oh my gosh! I'm I literally lost fifteen or twenty seconds just acclimating to the fact I'm seeing it. Right. I'm so perplexed. Right. But anyway, it goes on for a little while. I mean, it goes on. I'm assuming less than a minute, minute or two. I mean, they go on for an hour. It goes on for a minute or two or three, something like that. Not very long. And, uh, and but in my spirit, I was saying this: there's a military crisis of some sort, and there's martial law or something. I didn't have clarity on that, so I don't ever like to exaggerate things, uh, spiritual things like this. And so I said, military crisis? What? Well, what would it be? What would the crisis be? And I did not know. And it was November eighth. I no no I mean November 2008, and there you have it. So you have the uh, looming crisis that that is uh, that's coming. You have the Joel two response, but then you're passionate about the Acts two outpouring. Talk about that. Yeah, yeah. I believe you cry out to the Lord not just to prove you're sincere. Although I believe sincerity is involved, you cry out to the Lord because the Lord has an answer. Because the Lord is more committed to make the the the, uh, the disaster zone into a revival spirit, like He He wants the disaster to be a revival. Oh, I like that. I'm into sending power, and so uh, so we cry to the Lord because we believe it matters. You know, it's not just oh help, oh help, oh help, and let us all just die. No, it's oh help because we believe your arm will supernaturally intervene into human affairs and you will actually do something because we asked you to because you love the conversation with your people like we don't pray because god needs information we pray because god wants conversation oh that's good I need your prayer i don't need your prayer i don't need your information i know way more than you know <laughs> and i don't need your prayer for me to do this but i'm not going to do it without it because i'm a god of relationship i want the interaction and I wanted to strike you that your words matter to me. So I'm going to wait till you pray. Because when you pray, it kind of makes it official in your soul that you've, that you've talked to God. And then when it happens, you go, oh, my goodness. He listened to me. And he goes, that's the point. I want you to know what you mean to me. That's why I'm not going to answer you until you actually pray. Because I want you to connect the dots when I answer. Because if you think about it, when God blesses us, and we don't pray for the blessing, we don't connect it to him very much. Right. Like, for instance, the sun shining today. Unbelievable miracle. Right. Unbelievable miracle. I look up and go, oh, my gosh. But because I didn't pray to make that happen, it happened no matter what I did, I don't think about it very much, which I'm sad I don't. Right. My heart beats every moment. I don't think about it much because – but if my heart stopped beating – and I talked to God, and then it started. I'd go, oh, my gosh. And there, we have many, many blessings that he gives us. We don't pray air, gravity, <laughs> many, many, many things. <laughs> and he goes, that's okay. I'm good with those. I do want you to recognize me, but I'm good. I realize well, mostly. But a whole lot of areas of my blessing, I'm actually not going to give them to you until you talk to me. You have not because you asked not, James 4, 2, because I want you to connect the answer with my heart being moved by your words because I love you and I want it to connect you. So therefore, I'm not going to answer you until you lift your voice. 
and I want to touch on one more thing briefly here. You talk about that in your book that we can actually be hidden from judgment. What do you mean by that? Joel 2, verse 14, he says, if you cry out for the, to, to the Lord, he says, I'm a God who relents. I, I hold it back. He goes, perhaps, and that's the key word. He goes, perhaps I will relent and I will not release it. And I'll give a blessing instead. That's Joel 2, 14. But Zephaniah and Joel, I believe they were contemporaries. And some people think they were 100 years apart, but I think they were contemporaries. I think they're in the same generation in Jerusalem and facing the same crisis, but that's for another day and theologians to work that out. But Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3, he says the same thing. Cry out to God, gather together, lift your voice, and he goes, perhaps, again, he uses that word again, you will be hidden. Perhaps you'll be hidden in the day of my wrath. And hidden means, I don't mean the Hebrew, just the idea, I'm going to protect you with my hand and the time of judgment. I call those pockets of mercy. Perhaps there will be a pocket of mercy to those that cry out. Like in the premier example of that, one of the premier examples, Ezekiel chapter 9. Uh, Ezekiel 9, verse 4 to 6, is that the Lord told the angel of the Lord, go through Jerusalem. Now, this is in the Babylonian invasion when the, the elders of Jerusalem are worshiping demons. They're worshiping, I mean, literally worshiping demons instead of the God of Israel. So he's sending Babylon in, and he says to the angel of the Lord that's in Jerusalem, he goes, go in the city and strike with your sword, the angel. Now, I think the angel does it using the Babylonian military. I don't know. You know, that's another subject for another day. But the angel of the Lord goes to the city. He says, but everyone, here's the amazing part, in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 6, everyone that sighs and groans over the abomination, meaning everyone that has committed righteousness and cries out in intercession, the Lord says, spare them and protect them from the judgment. That's a pretty remarkable statement, that the people who sigh and groan, which means intercession and they're committed to righteousness, the Lord says, Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 6, protect them. Don't let anything strike them. And it's the Goshen principle in, Gen in Exodus chapter 8 and 9. Goshen, as you know, the ten plagues of, right. of uh, Egypt with Moses, God tells Moses, he said, I'm going to send these ten plagues, but where the children of Israel live in Goshen, and he mentions it three or four times in Exodus 8 and Exodus 9. He says, when I send the boils, the plagues, the darkness, the flies, I, I'm going to hit Egypt with them, but I'm going to protect the people in Goshen. Yes. The judgment will not touch them. And I believe that's the same principle of the Zephaniah 2.3 I just quoted, where God says, I will hide you in my hand. In other words, I'll protect you in the time of judgment. Or the Joel 2.14, perhaps, you know, I will send a blessing instead of the judgment. In other words... I'm going to give that geographic area blessing or that people or whatever. And we don't know exactly how the Lord does that, but we know he does do that. Okay, Mike, there, there are many people that are listening that, that see the, the things on, on, on television, even though you know, we don't necessarily agree with everything we watch. But we, we know what you're teaching us in, in uh, Psalm 2, Joel 2, Acts 2. And there's a lot of people out there. They need a they need a the confidence to restart, to go after God, to to run after His heart. Can you just pray whatever is on your heart for them? Yes, Lord, I just pray that the the lies of the devil would be exposed, 
that they've gone too far, it's too late, there isn't a new beginning, and I pray for a spirit of revelation, that there'd be confidence and love, that your heart is so big and you're so tender towards anyone that will call on your name, particularly even believers who've given up because they've stumbled in these areas, this area, that area. So many times they gave up, but Lord, you haven't given up, and I ask you that you would rescue them. I ask you that you would show them you're the God of the new beginning. Day after day after day, you're the God of the new beginning, and their prayers and their conversation matters. I ask you that you encounter them with that, set them in friendships with three, four, five, ten other believers, that they do it together. They contend together for the breakthrough for their family, for their city, for their university. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. You've been listening to Messianic Vision with our special guest, Mike Bickle. And now here's Sid to tell you how you can get this special offer. Mike Bickle wants to mentor you on one of the greatest revelations he's ever received. In his 12-CD set, Studies in the Song of Solomon, and as a special bonus, Mike's book, God's Answer to Growing Crisis. Call now for Mike's 12-CD set, Studies in the Song of Solomon, and his special bonus book, God's Answer to the Growing Crisis, for an investment of 49 U.S. dollars. To order, call 1-800-447-2697. Once again, that's 1-800-447-2697. Or go to our website at sidroth.org. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H dot O-R-G. Mike Bickle's 12th CD set, Studies in the Song of Solomon, and his special bonus book, God's Answer to the Growing Crisis, offer number 9559 for an investment of 49 U.S. dollars. Be sure to ask for offer number 9559. Once again, that's offer number 9559. Five nine.